Hey, Chatty Cathy's. This is Mini Gabs with Many Gabs. We'll see how long this one's last. My name is Natalie. I'm Kima. I'm Rafat. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting and waiting to meet you. Yeah. Uh, officially and actually put a voice to your comments and like <laughs> the card you sent me at Christmas and stuff like that. Aww. Nice. Thank you again, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I sound you. nicer than I actually am. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I like to say I don't claim to be nice. People just assume. And so when they're like, that's a little bitch, I'm like, well, I never claimed that. You just assume. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Rafat's also the one that sent me that awesome, amazing book about haunted Texas that I've mm-hmm. been reading from. I am obsessed Very with nice. it. <laughs> it's so good. Every time I go somewhere, I flip through. I'm like, what's haunted in this town? What can I drive and by today? Where, where can I go? Yeah. Where I will, I can pay for the privilege of being spooked. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Texas has a, a doozy of haunted things. It's been a, but it didn't have anything from Seguin. So I was like, next volume, we'll have to get all the, the bed and breakfast I want. <laughs> but yeah. So tell our listeners just a little bit about you. Where are you from? What you do? Cause it's really cool. Uh-huh. Okay, so I am a sociology professor at in the City University of New York. I live in New Jersey. I grew up in New York City. I briefly lived in Texas, which you know you both know, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, my husband is from Texas. Today is his 49th birthday. Oh my God! Happy birthday! The kids joke that it is for like three months that dad and mom are the same age because I am a year older, younger man. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I grew up and lived most of my life, uh, I think I can still say that, in Brooklyn, in New York City, where I went to school and undergraduate, and I got my PhD at NYU. So I left briefly and lived in Texas for a while. And, you know, I do research, I teach, and I uh, have a lot of hobbies. I have two children. They are very interesting. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, like, I just have a lot of interests and do a lot of things. Oh, that's so cool. I'm sure Texas was, like, a very startling change from New York and New Jersey. It was, like... And, and especially like going straight from the city to suburban Dallas Fort Worth was <laughs> sociologically really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was happy to have had that experience, <laughs> but then move uh, back up to the Northeast. And I actually like really like New Jersey. It is a weird place. It's <laughs> small like chock full of history and it's like educationally really good um like new jersey's very live and let live and it's got for a tiny place it has like everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean we've got like the pine barrens and the jersey devil and beaches and we don't have like really big mountains but the people are eccentric and uh, which, of course, I enjoy greatly. So, yeah, your own little social experiment and your your neighbors. <laughs> I love like cultural differences. You know, from being southern, my mom's side were all Arkansan, and then my dad's side, everybody was super northern. So, like Michigan, Illinois, and stuff. But even just the differences of the country, how different we are. Like, as a sociologist, I'm sure you're just like geeking out. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally fascinating. Like, but even the suburban, I mean, it was like regional, but also like suburbs and um, like certain things that I read about really make a lot of sense, like how your house is built, right? So all the newer suburbs, you never, ever see your neighbors, right? Because Mm -hmm. you go in through an alleyway in the back to your garage, like nobody really uses their front door. So you don't have like the normal social interactions that you would like here. I live in an older suburb in New Jersey. Like I will see my neighbors. I will Mm -hmm. say hello. I know what they look like. 
maybe I don't want to run into them, but I probably will anyway. (laughs) Whereas like in these new suburbs, like you have very atomized existence, like it's with you and your family and you choose to interact or not to interact, but you don't have those kind of everyday community interactions. I think for me, like that was one of the strangest things. Oh, that's but, interesting. Uh, yeah. People say that that in part contributes to lack of community ties because mm-hmm. you're not having those everyday interactions, right? Like I still, like when I visit my parents' house in Brooklyn, some of the neighbors on the block, like the, like their next door neighbors or what, they still know me and, you know, things like that. Whereas, uh, you know, I knew like maybe one neighbor in Texas and that's only because, you know, the person lives next door. So you feel like it's polite to say hello to them, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, but yeah. So geography and spatial things really impact how people like interact with their communities. So so that was a fascinating thing I learned. Oh, that's cool. What kind yeah. of things did you do in school? Was there something you specialized? So I had to write a dissertation, but like I am so ADHD that I had like three gigantic projects that I did and I could have done any of them. Like I became experts in in like three <laughs> things, but like they didn't work out for a variety of reasons. So um I had one project that was on non-governmental organizations, another on decolonization movements. And then the one I ended up doing was about um, South Asian immigrants. And I looked at arranged marriage as uh, a lens for looking at um, immigrant assimilation. And that one is the one that everybody likes because, you know, people hear the term arranged marriage and they're like, oh, you know, and like I'm, I would <laughs> interview people like in Starbucks and in bars and all kinds of, and like invariably people would like overhear the interview and come up afterwards like, I had a friend. I'm like, I'm sure you did. Um, <laughs> and like, so people, people love to like hear about that. It's kind of a, a exotic, interesting topic. I've given a lot of talks on it and things. So even though that's like my past research, it's the thing that people still find most fascinating. And right now I'm working, I'm supposed to be working on a project because I'm on sabbatical on uh, the phenomenon of mom blogs. And uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm like in this new area called digital sociology. So conceptually, I will at least get one article done. Uh, I I can't like go to conferences and do the like normal things like that but you know it's also a good excuse like this project was basically like came out of my fascination with like you know social media and the YouTubes and like I found this kind of whole world that (laughs) was super fascinating and so it's a good excuse for me to be on social media all the time because I'll be like oh because it's like my area in sociology I need to be on all the time (laughs) look at memes because it's my job (laughs) yes (laughs) that is so fascinating you're just the coolest person Mm -hmm. oh man but the decolonization (laughs) thing is really cool in the museum world it's a huge deal right now because they don't know how to yes rework all the exhibits because they want to but they're like how do you even go about that it's really cool i mean you know like i go to the museum of natural history and that was like my favorite place as a kid so when you're a new york city kid like uh, i probably yeah, who's going to know? I can't get in trouble now. But I used to play hooky all the time in high school. And uh, like, I wrote fake notes and stuff. Like, no one was the wiser till I had to, like, go to summer school for gym. But, you know, um, but I used to go to museums, like, when I played hooky. So I would go to the Museum of Natural History or the Metropolitan or something like that. And I love the old, like, anthropological exhibits. I, you know, I got to know them and then, like, I, you know, inhabited those worlds because I would, like, go and spend hours. And part of it, like, as a sociologist and, you know, someone with a deep interest in 
sort of exploitation and, you know, all, all colonialism and all that kind of stuff. Like, I get why it's problematic, but at the same time, like, it is evocative of a certain era and it has a particular kind of value. So I wouldn't want them to completely get rid of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I also have like a fascination with like kind of 19th century notions of natural history, right? Um, like I love, you know, sort of the the imagery and, you know, the kind of things that you would go on a voyage and bring back like mm-hmm. butterflies and plant specimens or whatever. So for me, that that's an aesthetic that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So um, I can see why museums would need to update things, but at the same time, you know, I... I think that you need to kind of preserve some of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was really impressed when I worked at the historic Arkansas Museum. They have one of the largest Native American exhibits. Well, it's the biggest one in Arkansas, but one of the biggest in the state. And it has stuff from the Smithsonian. But the way they've done it, it's like pre colonial and it gives like the actual history of the natives. And then it transitions into colonial, but then it also explains like how history changes with that. And that's that lens, but this was also going yeah. on. So I think there's, it's really difficult to toe that line to figure out what to do, but I, I, I don't know how some curators do it, <laughs> like to try to write that and figure and it the, out. And the line between preservation and being respectful of mm-hmm. things and, you know, like, I also really am fascinated by archaeology, but I was trying to tie the other day because I like to watch this British show called Time Team. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's super boring, but, like, so <laughs> right. Because it's, like, it's not like an American show. Like, it's, like, you know, like, hours and hours of footage of, like, people digging and just, you know, saying, like, really mundane things. So it's not like, ooh, then this exciting thing happens. But it's very soothing. Um, you can watch like videos on YouTube. It's called Time Team. And there's there are a couple of episodes that I particularly like, but I was saying to Kai, like, I actually am fascinated by what archaeologists do. It's just that I couldn't do it because I don't like to be uncomfortable. <laughs> like I have a friend who is an archaeologist, and it's like, oh my God, like being in a tent and all the bugs and yeah. it's hot. Oh. And I just like like all the yeah, it, I mean I like the the finding things, but the hours and hours of bugs and living in sites could not do that. Yeah. I met somebody, she took my job at ham and she was like, Oh yeah. I helped dig up Viking vessels and like Iceland. And I'm like, how does one do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> get on an excavation group. And Oh man. It's like, you're living a life I would like to be a part of. <laughs> But then again, I don't think I necessarily want to spend yeah. you know, 24 hours. I'm really ADD, so might not be my, my thing. You also have to be really neat. Yeah, and you have to be, like, really precise. Like, again, we were watching the show, and Kai was like, how did they get their trenches, like, so perfectly straight? <laughs> like, hours and hours of work with the trowel. Oh, yeah. Was- was- like, why does it matter? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was all into archaeology until I realized math was a huge part of it. And I was like, oh, man, (laughs) (laughs) a little little too much for me. That's not my jam. Mm. Probably like also like like more chemistry than you would think. Mm. I think. Yeah. yeah. My worst Mm. science. (laughs) I did not do well in chemistry. (laughs) Math based thing. I just it wasn't my thing. I really... I didn't mind physics so much. I liked it much better, which is also math-based, but mm. different math. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I thought it was cooler. <laughs> I mean. Maybe. <laughs> it is. Uh, so, Nat, what did you discover this week? Um, well, since our next episode is Warriors, and one of our favorite warrior legends is Mulan, Ooh. I looked up. The true story of Mulan, or one of the true stories. It's a little. You can like argue if it if she was a real person or not, which I didn't realize that. I always thought she was a real person, hmm. but apparently there is. Well, it's just so old. Like uh, the Disney movie that we think of now is actually based on 
a ballad about a woman named Mulan from the 500s. Oh, wow. Not 1500s, (laughs) 500s. (laughs) It's just so old that, you know, we can't quite be 100% sure that she was real or not. Mm -hmm. Was it a written records or oral? Like the the ballad was passed down. I believe well, five hundred. They would have writing. Yeah, yeah I I don't know. I doesn't it doesn't say in the article I found out found this from, but I will give that a Google though. <laughs> I'm more in depth because I love learning about Mulan. It's just interesting, like the few different tales for it. Like in one example, the father is sickly, you know, like you do, and then. And this one example, he let her go to fight, but the deal was she had to fight him. And if she won, she had the parents' blessings. And that's what happened. And she actually ended up fighting for 12 years. And of course, in Disney, you don't know how long she's been gone. (laughs) I'm like, but sure. Like, how, like, I don't know. I have no idea. Anyways, so she fought for 12 years. Not only did she, she didn't just like win one battle and then leave. She actually became a general and then was honored by the emperor. So that kind of makes me think of a Disney movie. And the emperor was so honored that uh, he offered his daughter to Mulan because they thought, you know, she was a he. (laughs) (laughs) And she went, no, I just want... A horse or a camel to ride back, please. And then change back into her female clothes and just like, bye, bitches. And just left. <laughs> <laughs> so that is one version of the story. There's another one that she actually just had sisters and she actually had a son. Oh. And again, a lot of men were being drafted and to kind of protect her son and protect her father. Uh, she went to war. And kind of similar. There, and there's one where the emperor's daughter and her were both warriors. I'm like, that's kind of cool. But then everyone died. So that wasn't cool. <laughs> was Everyone died. The end. <laughs> no. There's one, there's one where like, she even kills herself. I'm like, oh. <laughs> because uh, she was going to be ordered to be a concubine to oh. a not great man. And she just was like, Nope, and killed herself because her father had died, her mother remarried, and like so basically her whole world just went to hell. Oh man. So I like to believe that very first version I said. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. This almost became a morbid segment, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. But I think it's cool. Like the first versions that we like on screen version of Mulan actually is 1927. I didn't realize that they made like a little cartoon or a movie. I'm not sure if it's, I guess, real. It's real life uh, video of Mulan 1927. And then not until 1998, Disney took it and did the an animated thing. Wow. That was 1998. Yeah. See, I thought Mulan was older just because I, I remember, I I remember how so old I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love Mulan. I, I'm i really excited about the live action one because I've heard it's more in line with the actual tales. So I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see what they do with that. But who knows what's going to come out now because it was supposed to come out this month. But, you know, <laughs> can't um, go to the unless you live in Texas, I guess. You can go to the movies now, but all the movie theaters are like, nope, not it. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> But overall, with this little discovery, real or not real, I think it's cool that this story has been told for since 500, so what, 1,500 years? Yeah. And I just think of how empowerment, like I wonder how many women might have heard this story but inspired because mm-hmm. here's a woman that went against the grain in times that that was not normal for centuries. And just that it's still alive, like, it's just, I didn't realize it's that old of a story. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about what year it was. I mean, it was one of the earlier dynasties, but I never really 
But yeah, out of everything that survives history, it makes me happy that things like this survived, you know, that people told the story enough that it survived everything that has happened in 1500 years. I'm going to have to deep dive this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regina, do you want to tell your discovery real quick? I do. Like, I'm excited about it. It's not a happy story, so I probably should have led with that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me pull it up. Uh-uh-uh. I can't hear you, but you keep going. I'll listen to it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can hear Nat just fine. Oh, no. I don't know. Oh, maybe it's me. <laughs> I can translate to like important. This is sad. <laughs> depressing. Cannibalism. <laughs> okay, is that better? Sad and depressing. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. Hello. It was sad. Okay. Uh, okay. I didn't know if that would help. Okay, Probably I can hear you. Oh, okay, good. Yes, okay. it did help. Yay! Now I can Yay. hear your sad and depressing thing. <laughs> off. Well, it's not all sad and depressing. It's just, well, you'll just hear. So today, Princeton named its first Black Victorian in the university's history. And that is a wow. long history. Princeton okay. is 274 years old. Wow. So his name is Nicholas Johnson. He's a Canadian student majoring in operation research and financial engineering, which, wow. I don't even know what that is. (laughs) I don't either, but it sounds so impressive. (laughs) He says, quote, it feels empowering. Being Princeton's first Black Val Victorian holds special significance to me, particularly given Princeton's historical ties to the institution of slavery. And then he said, I hope this achievement motivates and inspires younger black students, particularly those interested in STEM fields. He says that his favorite memories at school were those spent with close friends and classmates engaging in stimulating discussions, often late into the night about our beliefs, our cultures, environments in which we are raised, the state of the world, and how we plan to contribute positively in our own unique way. So he sounds like a remarkable, amazing human. But whenever he mentioned the ties to slavery, my uh, skeptical ass was like, there's no way Princeton's going to have this on their website. I'm going to have to dig and it's going to take forever. But (laughs) Princeton, prove me wrong. So Princeton University has a website called Princeton and Slavery, where they have documented every instance of slavery in their history. So instead of like putting it underneath the rug, pretending it didn't happen, Like, they have gotten every primary source together and put it together so people can learn from it. And I don't know what it was about that today. It just made me so happy. Because a lot of times with history, people like to pretend that if you just ignore it, we won't repeat it. Or it didn't happen. And just how painful that is for people, you know, trying to just... So, this is what the front page says. It says Princeton University, founded as a college of New Jersey in 1746, exemplifies the central paradox of American history. From the start, liberty and slavery were intertwined. Princeton educated leaders of America's fight for independence and hosted even the Continental Congress in 1783, but the university's first nine presidents all owned slaves. A slave sale took place on campus in 1766, and enslaved people lived at the president's house until 1822, and one professor owned a slave until the late 1840s. Like, man. So the Princeton and Slavery Project <laughs> investigates the university's involvement with the institution of slavery. It explores the slaveholding practices of Princeton's early trustees and faculty, faculty members. Mm-hmm. It considers the impact of donations derived from the profits of slave labor and looks into the broader culture of slavery in the state of New Jersey, which did not fully abolish slavery until 1865. It also documents the southern origins of many Princeton students during the antebellum pyramid pyramid. Oh my god, period. <laughs> and <laughs> considers how the presence of these southern students shaped campus conversations about political things and race. So I just I was really impressed. So it has everything scanned so you can look at the actual documents. You can read things from the original presidents. And then it has all their researchers. They're Like their tags, they have campus, civil war, colonization, faculty, presidents, alumni, finances, slave sales, Princeton, the town, violence, and commencement. So it's really interesting. I'll have it on the website, but Mm -hmm. I think it's so refreshing (laughs) that people are like talking about things instead of pretending it didn't happen. And 
in a time where people aren't leaving history. I've been so frustrated. Like we are reliving the Spanish flu right now. And I'm like, learn your history. (laughs) Social distancing works. And I was like, oh man, people are learning. And I just think it's really cool. It means they're having progress. Um, Princeton is known for having a very uh, well-respected African-American studies program mm -hmm. history. So so I guess that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. It's just really interesting. It does say that there's only 7% of the students are black at this present time, but it's growing pretty rapidly. And so it's, it's just like a really cool website. I am a huge nerd for primary sources. So that's why I was geeking out the most. Like, man, look at all these maps. (laughs) Well, I think they're doing more and more of that, especially like slave records and narratives Mm -hmm. are being put into archives online. So a friend of mine applied for a fellowship, like with the library program at, I think it was the University of Glasgow Mm -hmm. uh, in Scotland. And so uh, we don't know if anyone's going to get any fellowships right now, but it was supposed to be like you could travel there uh, and she was interested in uh, working with the records and slave narratives, which they have. But it's all digitized now mm-hmm. as well, so that scholars, like, you can have access to it from anywhere. So I yeah. think that's more of a thing. A lot of my classmates got to work with the slave narratives in southern Arkansas. I wasn't in that class, so I didn't get to be a part of it. But it was a lot with the the Elaine Massacre and stuff so it's just like a lot of really important work is happening and it makes me sad that it's taken this long for it to happen but I'm glad it's happening and people have access to history and what happened and hopefully we can learn and be better people (laughs) but I'm just really plus Princeton's like the fourth oldest college in the U.S. I think fourth yes yeah we have we have a we have a lot of history in New Jersey mm-hmm. and not just where, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr had their school. <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> although there's that, we have a lot of revolutionary war history. Mm-hmm. Like there's like, again, like maybe 15, 20 minutes from my house. There's like, there's always like a ye old battle of something happened here. And like <laughs> Washington did something here. Uh, but like, yeah, there's, I think people do a reenactment. Uh, there was like some, um, like, I think it's called, we have like 45 towns called Washington Township or something like that. <laughs> probably because like he went there once or yeah. had lunch here, spent the night at somebody's house here. But uh, but there is a ton of history here. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's fun to do. One of my, the things that my hus- husband loves to do is go to, well, like battlefields, but also uh, presidential places. Like he's indiscriminate, so it could be a birthplace or a home or a, a library, whatever. So, um, so whenever we go somewhere and there's like a presidential something, but just like in the Northeast, there's a concentration of all these things. Like you, you know, can, there's a battlefield uh, in Brooklyn, like in what is currently now a cemetery and you can see where like oh no up over there they climbed over this hill and then they saw the red coats because you know they're wearing red so they're easy to find but you know <laughs> that's what I imagine. Oh that is so cool. I can't even imagine living somewhere with that much history. That's just so cool. Arkansas was kind of a baby because nobody wanted to live there. So I can't imagine being in like the spark of you know the revolution and the colonies oh just so amazing That's... well i mean people were there mm-hmm. but we just may not have records of it like yeah. every place had people but mm-hmm. uh but yes there's uh but imagine like living in europe or like london where it's like oh I wanted to do this project in my garden but then i picked you know like ran into some roman ruins you know like <laughs> That's true. I also couldn't like comprehend that. You know, like, oh, <laughs> oh no, my construction's going to be delayed because they discovered, you know, like a whatever, like ancient Roman something. So it's all relative, really. That's true. We have learned about that Roman concrete. You just can't kill it. <laughs> it's like indestructible. 
Yeah, that was the thing that got me in France was just walking on a Roman street. And I was like, how does this still exist? And it's so old. And it's just, I guess if you've lived there your whole life, you're just like, eh, it's normal. But to me, I was yeah, like, there's another one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Arkansas has seen- such a very, like, amazing Native American history. And I think that's what most of us learned there just because we didn't have settlers until... I mean, really recently in the whole scan of world history. But I just, I am a geek for that. I've never been to the East Coast or Northeast, so I'm just dying to. Oh, wow. I don't know how I haven't made it there. <laughs> well, you could, you could also, there's like a lot of cool stuff in the Southwest. We were um, talking last night about going back to the Southwest and like where you have the, the cave dwellings and the rock, mm-hmm. like I'm not remembering things, but the Anasazi <laughs> like uh, cave dwellings and stuff. And that's a whole, like, I love a good mystery where you don't know, like, oh, these people lived here. We don't know very much about them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. My sister just moved to Arizona. So I'm just dying to go visit because there's just so much out there. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the painted desert really looks like it's painted. It's oh. like. I just need to travel constantly once it's safe to do so. <laughs> like right now, I can't go anywhere. Well, but when it's safe. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, and I imagine that a lot of people will want to kind of take advantage of that once things open up. It's true. Yes, I'm sad about all the travel I wasn't able to do. Yeah. But on the plus side, I've learned so much about orchids. <laughs> <laughs> So our, usually our first question is, what's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, gosh. Um, I want to say a stegosaurus. Oh, that's a good one. You know, it's interesting. It's just, yeah. It's hard to pick just one. But it is. I'm going to say a stegosaurus. That's pretty cool. Solid one. Could hold yeah. its own. And, uh... If you could have dinner with any historical figure, living or dead, who would it be? It doesn't have to be historical. I think we had a grandma once. Oh, even I wouldn't want to have dinner with my relatives, dead or alive. Um, (laughs) I want to say, like, maybe Jane Austen. Oh. Or, like, you know, like a literary figure, like... um, like if I had to pick like somebody really ancient who I couldn't like make heads or tails of, I would say like maybe Boudica. Um, she's like the maybe Anglo-Saxon. I don't know. Like she's the Iceni warrior, like from the British. Uh, she's like an ancient British Isles person. There are different pronunciations from her, of her name, but she was like a warrior queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's actually my topic for the random warriors. segment for warriors oh. yeah <laughs> she's a she's a good one she's and a badass like, you know, i i find her fascinating but yeah probably jane austen because she just seemed to i mean other than just like have a handle on social mores and like how people relate to each other in a way that i think is fascinating like sociologically but also like she seems like a really fascinating person like She's a somebody that like sometimes had privilege, sometimes didn't, mm-hmm. and like occupy this like in between space where she could be an observer, and that that's something that I feel about myself a lot. Like I am kind of socially ambiguous in a way that I can mix with a lot of different types of people, but I kind of understand people's perspective. And if you don't know me well, like you may not figure out exactly like. Uh, sort of what space I occupy, right? Um, and it allows you to observe things. And I think that's probably what made her a particularly good writer of relationships and people and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, it's a different sort of choice, but I would say Jane Austen. Yeah. Oh, Plus, doesn't she one. seem like someone that you would want to actually have a meal with? Yes. Like, she had a good amount like of wit. Good she seemed just, yeah, yeah she'd, she'd be, be funny fun. and like mm-hmm. kind of like ironic and, you know, in like all the good ways. I would and like to have good know. Words. 
Yeah, I would like to know what she thinks about how she's been perceived today. Like, she's still such a huge part of our pop culture. I wonder if she... So many movies. Yeah, I wonder what she would think about the, like, oh, what what's her name? Kira Knightley movie. <laughs> like, what do you think about like, all your I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you, do you, you know, like, like the 1994 nine bbc mm-hmm. version or the 2007 version yeah which darcy you know, do you like, like better gwyneth emma or 2020 emma i mean like thumbs down for gwyneth emma like every time but you know oh i haven't <laughs> seen any emma i really want to i think it's i think it's on amazon i think i can watch it oh is it yeah they put oh, it up as a they did it with the movie theater movies where if you pay 20 bucks, you yeah, can watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's still yeah. that or not. I was almost going to make my family watch it with me on Mother's Day, but then I decided <laughs> that would be too cruel. <laughs> what did y'all do for Mother's Day? Um, so we had a fancy, my husband picked up a fancy dinner and we ate outside because it was actually really beautiful weather here Oh, good. Um, on Sunday. So yes. Um, and we have the, the long running joke, like, oh my God, we have to be nice to her today. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh at all her jokes. <laughs> but yes, I, uh, I would want to do that. Like that would be a nice dinner. I, I, I imagine it would also be very civilized, like, you know, interesting, but also like she'd probably have really good table manners. Like, which would be a problem. Like if you were going to have dinner with a Viking and stuff and they're like taking things out of their teeth with like a knife, you know, like. That's true. Yeah. I just, I love to think of different historical figures coming to like 2020 and just being just aghast. (laughs) Like how, why are you eating with your fingers or. What is that? What is happening? Drive through. Or why are you not eating with your fingers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or they'd probably just be shocked at how easily we can get food now. Like, you know, Uber Eats. Like, what the hell is that? (laughs) I think indoor plumbing would probably the most, like, you know, radical thing of all. Like, you poop inside your house. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Or like a bidet. They'd be like, what? witchcraft is this where does it go (laughs) it's true yeah I think they would all be very startled but I mean a lot of the ones would probably be very just fascinated like I think Jane Austen would be fascinating she was so imaginative in life I think even now she'd be like let me write this down good times what else do we ask oh uh, who would you this fight in history. <laughs> that one's oh, become God. one of my favorite questions lately. <laughs> Taru is like I, a child. <laughs> like I could take you. Um, that's a really hard one because I don't really, you know, have very violent feelings towards people. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like maybe, um, like I, you know, I'd be more upset like about systems rather than individual people but that's like my take on things so uh like who's somebody really jerky i don't that's a tough one i i'm i'm gonna pass on that for a moment because i don't that's really want to get into fist fights with people that i might want to you know tear them down verbally like oh. i'm good at that you know, and like make them cry and stuff, but like, because no. people are like, you know, victims of their circumstance. I mean, the obvious easy one would be like Hitler or something. Yeah. But even then, you know, just you know, too easy. Find something like, or or people who are like nameless, but were in institutions and did terrible things. Mm-hmm. Like whoever said, oh, you know, like was it uh, the Tuskegee experiment? Yeah. Let's like inject these black men with syphilis and see what happens. Like, it's it was some nameless bureaucrat maybe that like okay that or mm-hmm. allowed that to happen. So maybe I'd want to get into a fist fight with that person. Probably That's a him. good one. Because I researched it for the podcast, think, like, and that same guy did the same experiment in Guatemala. So it was one dude had the idea right. twice. Yep. He deserved it. Big old punch in the throat. 
it's like, did you not learn enough about like syphilis there or like you yeah. know, disease or whatever you can model things. But um, I think that a lot of like, you know, kind of terrible things were done by people that we don't even know about. It's true. Like these decisions that ripple out. I, you learn about all these things when you, uh, if you do research and like if you did psychology and you continue with it, um, if you're ever going to do a study with people, you have to do um, like a whole kind of course and get approval to do human subjects research. So you learn about all these terrible things. Yeah, I had to take like, that class. We had our final, our final experiment to graduate. We had to use human subjects and it's like the top five things that created ethics and like Nazis and Tuskegee. Yeah. It's just very horrendous like, thing that happened. And you're just like, how, why would somebody think this is a good idea? And it just baffles me because my brain doesn't work that way. I would never want to hurt people. So I, I think that's a thing about humanity. I don't quite understand. I'm so empathetic and I don't, oh, it's just so. Well, I think that if you decide that a group of people are subhuman or less than you, it's much easier to do terrible things to them. Like there's actually a word for that. Uh, it's called subspeciation. And oh. it's the idea that you take a group of people, like whether it's, you know, Jews or gypsies, or whatever you want to call it, like during the Holocaust and, or, you know, black Americans. Uh, and you say, okay, well, these people are somewhat less than human. And you develop like a whole sort of system of what's considered human, what's considered less than human. And then once you do that, then all kinds of terrible things are okay, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, mm -hmm. like they're not quite human. But yes, so pretty horrible. Like, mm -hmm. so not one that gets violent, but sure, I, I would take like nameless, face, faceless bureaucrat that made decisions yeah. that hurt lots of people. That's what I've noticed about this podcast. So I could get into a lot of fist fights. <laughs> I'm always like such a empathetic person when it comes to like killing a Nazi. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, it's just a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about. Like, are you okay with violence with one person? But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I can't even kill a spider. I just put them outside. So I know I would never hurt anything, but it's a, it's a, it's a cruel question we ask. We will keep on asking. It's a good it. hypothetical, but you know, <laughs> it's a good it's a good question. But I like to throw a wrench in things, you know, and be like, no, I here's what I think. Oh no, that's great. That's very uh, it's a cool. Uh, I just forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, <laughs> good story, Tina. It's a story of my life. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. Are there other standard questions that I will screw up or? <laughs> no, you're them? not screwing up. You're just giving oh, no, a yeah. perspective. I love it. No, we're collecting data here. It's okay. Uh, yeah. I always like to know what, uh, if you're reading anything good or have any books to recommend. Um, I am like not reading a ton of fiction right now I, I guess like I was into rereading some Jane Austen stuff like I'm very interested right now in like gothic 19th century gothic novels so um I was looking at Northanger Abbey which is actually really kind of funny like Jane Austen has a very good sense of humor mm -hmm. so and that's a funny one because it's kind of like a making fun of these you know horrific gothic novels that are super over the top and there's like a whole you know, thing of them um i was reading the speculative fiction thing i should read the second book but uh yeah um i read a lot of like mysteries but uh i'm waiting on a couple more to come out mm -hmm. so i don't have anything burning right now that's been written in this century by a person who's still alive so. <laughs> that's fine i love jane austen i'm a big fan of a lot of her stuff I watch every version of a movie or a show that comes out with it. And I haven't read everything of it, but I always, I really enjoy, I really like her, her wit and her characters and all their development. And they, it's like, they're, they're very much part of society, but then they're just enough weird in that retrospect. Yeah. It's pushing the boundaries just enough. And um, yeah, yeah. I really enjoy it. 
it's a fascinating period in history too, the Regency England, because like, Mm -hmm. you know, the king was crazy. And so you had the Prince Regent, like there's all this like, you know, kind of in between stuff. Like, so, you know, you can't have the slave trade anymore, but you can still have slaves and, you know, sort of the ambiguities around that. And then, you know, like fashions and all that, which is, you know, I think what really people, but um, yeah, no, mostly I've been like, I stay up way too late reading though. And like going up <laughs> on tangents on like, like the next morning I'll wake up and I'll look at my browser and like, Oh my God, like how am I reading a mystery novel? And then I'm like looking up, you know, uh, Nunavut throat singing. I think you know, my <laughs> brain goes to a lot of places. Oh my gosh. So. You sound like Emery. He's like, check this out. check this video out. And it was throat singing. And uh, and then he'll go back and like, he's like, I love Lord of the Rings and check out this orc. And then he'll go into this Russian <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Like, there, it's not the same. There's like, you know, throat singing from different parts of the world. It's yeah. a different kind of, you know, thing. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, the outer reaches of northern Canada is not the same as Mongolia. I did not know that, but now I do. So, <laughs> well, now I was that kid that like read everything I could. When you know, I always joke around with my kids. I'm like, oh my god, like you can find out any information at any time, and why don't you? It's like I was a kid that I like the atlas just because it was there or I, when I visited my relatives like I would you know stay in my my aunt's room and she was a, an English major and I read like all of her novels because <laughs> there's no television and not much else to do and you know I read some like really depressing stuff that like it you know nine-year-old should not be reading Thomas Hardy I just want to say <laughs> like, like oh my gosh they all died and she had a terrible life like that's not good but yeah, so like being a kid that wanted to read everything and like just suck up every bit of information, it's like being in a world where you, and not only like where I can access information, but I actually have the skills to be able to discern what's good and not good, which it is, I think you're as librarians, you know that that is <laughs> deeply problematic, right? Because we have a world where you have all this information, but people don't know or don't want to or don't you know have the sort of wherewithal or skills to vet things um but like it's a gift for me that i'm able to access information in a way that uh you know i wouldn't have been able to do but that i also have the ability to figure out what's good or what i probably would get more sleep if i Mm -hmm. didn't have that but <laughs> I leave so much googling weird when things I die. Off in my head. I'm just like, I can Google that. Let me find that out right now. Yeah. Yeah, you have to know immediately. <laughs> like the joke when I was a kid was like, I was like the Wikipedia for all my friends. It's like, oh, <laughs> what's this thing? Like even my parents were like, Oh, ask her. She'll know. She'll know. <laughs> nine times out of ten, I probably did because. You know, I didn't like to go outdoors, so I just, like, read a lot. And I went to the library near my house. Like, that was my treat. Like, after school, I went to the library, like, two or three days a week. Um, and it was, like, a whole kind of thing. And this was, like, before libraries did fun things for kids where it was just, like, okay, just here's yeah. some books. <laughs> and we got card catalogs, right? Figure it out. Ooh, I love in L.A., their downtown library, um, all along the elevator shafts, it's glass, and behind the glass is all of their cards from the card catalog. Oh, cool. And so just as you're going up the elevator, you're just seeing these, like, thousands of cards all the way up. I think it's, like, five floors or something. I don't know. Oh, how many that's stuff. cool. It's just really neat. And I'm like, this, this Very is cool. uh, very good recycling. I don't know. I like that. I remember having to take a class in school on how to figure out the card catalog. <laughs> when I was little, we had to figure it out. We had we had to do the old school way of I think the, um, that, and it was just now starting to get on computers, and we had to figure out how to find a book, the catalog, and the computer catalog. Do what? I'm sorry, we're fine. I mean, it, no, I was going to say I think like one of the things that is sort of 
missing from like being able to access like digitally and like from home or whatever. I mean, now it's, it's a good thing, but there's a different kind of discovery that happens when you're in the stacks, mm-hmm. like where you find things that you didn't know that, I mean, even something as mundane as when I was doing my research for my dissertation, um, like I would go to find a book and then like next to that book, are other books that I didn't mm-hmm. think I, you know, I didn't know about, but they're mm-hmm. obviously related. And so it's like, oh, you find things that you didn't think that you would find. I mean, the same thing happens, like, to some extent, they've tried to reproduce that electronically, right? Because you have like similar things coming out. But mm-hmm. I think it's a different sort of feeling. And like, also the smell of libraries, like the smell of books is but now I, I'm getting on to. You know, oh, like no, I agree. Thing. Even like research, if you're researching something and you find something related that you didn't know existed, it's the most e- nerdy, exhilarating feeling. <laughs> <laughs> like when I was doing my thesis, I would be just digging through boxes yeah. that hadn't been cataloged yet. And I'd find something and it's just like, yes, <laughs> oh, it's just so nothing like it. Yeah. Libraries and archives. They're a good time. Yeah, it's one of the things that was really fun for me is that after I published a book that was based on my dissertation research, it's like an academic book, but then um, you can go on WorldCat and see like all the libraries that carry your book right and and my it's mostly something that's going to be bought and housed in university libraries like that kind of thing but I love the idea that and I and I because I'm dorky enough that I was curious and Princeton University Library has my book um but yes (laughs) I love the idea that somebody is writing a paper about this and then they can go and find my book and you know like include it in their lit review because that's always fun to yourself and like people's bibliographies but there there's like and then it becomes then it's not yours anymore but it belongs to like a body of of knowledge and sometimes like I will go back and I'll read things I'm like oh my god wow I wrote that it feels like like a you know a smart person wrote this like someone who knew what they're talking about because then it becomes like something that you put out in the world um but that was a fun thing I did I was like let me see, you know, initially it happened because like somebody contacted me and asked about it. And I was like, Oh, you know, let me see if you're near or what nearby library would have it. Um, but yeah, so like you stumble upon things in life. I love how casually you threw that out there. Right, that's what I was going to say just casual. I published a book. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Oh, what's it called? What's the title of it? It's it's not that exciting. Like academics do it all the time. It's like just something you do. I mean, not that I'm like downplaying. Like I was very proud of it. My mom was very happy. Um, like, that's really <laughs> that's when you do everything is for your mom, right? Yeah. Like some your mom like has something. Um, I am afraid that I'm gonna have to get going because I hear the car and my husband has gone in and we're gonna have this like, real quick. What's the title of your story? Fancy, fancy stuff. Oh, oh my God. You know what? I'll post a picture of it on the uh, Perfect. On the, the podcast thing. It's like, I can't, <laughs> if you had to ask me the title of it, like, I couldn't even tell you because like, it's too I smart of a title. <laughs> um, all right. I'm coming. Okay. I'm thank coming. you so Kai, much. Kai, you want to say hello? Thank you. Wait, Kai, no, Kai, 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 wait, Kai, Kai will like. Hi. How do we get, there's Kai. Wearing his chewy like detective Pikachu uh, t-shirt. All right, I'm coming. Um, thank you so much. This thank was really cool. And um, I will share with you. I have a spooky story about like haunted Texas stuff, so I'll send that to you guys soon. Yes. So you can, yes, I'll finally write that up because it's really, really cool and interesting. Oh, I can't so, wait. Bye. Hi, thank you so much. Again. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye. <laughs> Me too. Bye. Okay, she is the coolest. Can we all agree that she is the coolest? Yeah. <laughs> I want her to be my teacher so bad. 
you. Oh my gosh. Anybody out there that has her as a teacher, you are so lucky. I just, my favorite professors are always the ones that were fun and like, you know, they knew what they're talking about, but they could tell a story just in a way that you were just captivated. And I can tell I was captivated by everything she was saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she's just also like when they're down to earth and they can make jokes with you too. Um, like some professors get kind of snotty in a way or like pompous, even if it's just like a mild version of that, but it's still like, Meh, and she doesn't have any of that. No. She's, she's just like, I don't know what to tell you. I wrote a book, but you know, it's whatever. I'm like, Princeton has it. Oh my god, <laughs> how cool is that? Oh. So, oh, along man. with all of her other great successes and. My thesis is like cited on one website and I almost threw myself a party. I can't imagine being that chill about a book. That is so amazing. Well, and then, I mean, I can't grow a plant. I have, I, they die. <laughs> <laughs> She's the coolest person. I, I say this every episode, every mini cat. I don't understand how any of you Patreon are Patreon. You're all too, you're so much cooler than me. And every time you guys come on here, Not I'm me. blown away <laughs> just about just how amazing each, every single one of you are. Oh, just, Thank it brings you. me so much joy, especially in these weird, weird ass dark times. You guys bring me all my joy. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> I was just saying, like, do you stick with all? 75%. We're going to say 75%. Uh, the other yeah, is like, joy. 10%, no, 15% uh, Murray, and then oh, yeah. 5% Ruger, and then 5% D. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he puts Ruger, like, above me in Art Zombie Apocalypse, who eats No, that's Ruger. what I put Murray. Oh, yeah, he deserves that one. We do like each other, I swear. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, but your main happiness, though. That's is- true. Yeah. Yesterday, I was talking to my sister, and... So, like, I have one eye. You guys, I know if you're watching me, you know, one eye squintier than the other. And Zeke started calling my for- Forrest Whitaker eye. And my sister was like, that is so <laughs> fucking mean. <laughs> She's like, you're so mean. It was like, I mean, That's it's funny. Thing. Uh, yeah. Well, here, I, think- I got one for you. My my left eye is a little bit more closed than my right one, too. That's my left, too. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And- it's like some kind of lazy eye, basically. Uh, so, some days they're the same, and some days it's just a little bit more closed. It, it varies. And wearing my mask to work now that I'm back in the building a little, most most days now, at least some a few hours every day, <laughs> when the mask cuts at my nose, it's a straight line, and it just makes it that much more <laughs> obvious. And I had completely forgotten, like, how bad this eye could be until I had my mask on. And so like, all you can see is eyes and forehead <laughs> and bless those that have to see the forehead. But when you look at the eyes, it's just so obvious and so bad. I sent a picture to Emery. Um, he's like, man, you look like a bandit. And I'm like, yeah, my street name's Squint. <laughs> yeah. I was filming a TikTok, and I was like, man, my eyes way smaller than I thought it was. It was very noticeable. I've heard it's stress can sometimes make one eye squintier, but I don't know. When I go back to the eye doctor and be like, how do you get rid of this lazy eye? Cause it's starting to get ridiculous. <laughs> My husband's calling me Forrest Whitaker. We need to fix this right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. My uh, her father actually had that in one of his eyes. Like it, it was a lazy eye. So I just assumed like, oh, it's just, it's just genetics. It's just how it is. Maybe when I'm 60, it'll just be closed. Yeah, I googled it. It says that usually it, the eye that you see not as great at in, and this one I don't see as great as the other one. So I'm like, oh. But they say I can give you a glasses where one lens is more. I have oh. no idea. Like I'm, I don't remember the last time I've ever been to the eye doctor. I don't know if I've ever been. <laughs> if I have been, it was when I was like five. Like when they made you. Yeah, like for school for classes. Yeah. yeah, it's been at least 20 years, if not more. 
I went for these because they have the, if you can see the blue, it's the computer thing. I'm I'm just, I'm slightly farsighted, but I just wear them all the time because now I have a squinty eye. Now you can't tell if I wear glasses. You can tell, but you're distracted by the glasses. At -hmm. least that's what I tell myself. I'm not insecure about my lazy eye. (laughs) No, you just have to have like the perfect angle of your camera and then you have to make sure you wear your glasses. Yeah, it's not, true. not so uh, at all. We just have like people join on. They're like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> We're just having little mental breakdowns of all of our insecurities. Like, we're in between with our glasses, and I'm a potato, a frizzy haired potato. That's how we roll. That's uh, awesome. If you're just now joining us, yeah, yeah, you guys are all so cool, and I just, I just every I, statistically, you would think somebody'd come on here just. Not blow me away, but nope, every single one of you. Mm-hmm. All of you. Damn it. I know, right? In the last episode. Thanks everybody for listening to this mini gap. We'll see you next week. Bye. All right, bye. Just a second.